1: Welcome to the Tuesday edition of the World NFL Podcast, sponsored by Yahoo DFS. I'm Joe Bartle. And joining alongside me, as always, is Jake latarski only this time, Jake is completely covered in coffee. Only moments before we started to uh, record the podcast, <laughs> I feel like you just rage quit the entire thing and just threw your threw the coffee all over the place.
2: Yeah, we got a big day today. We're going to discuss a concept that we've been uh, asked about quite a bit, but yeah, I got a little too excited. It's only my second cup, but uh, right before we were about to hit record, <laughs> uh full-blown thing of coffee, of course, for the full show, uh, dumped over my entire front, fortunately no equipment was. So I was like, Joe. I'm going to grab a little bit of paper towel, and then we're going to get going here. Uh, We got our stake league auction here in 90 minutes, so no real time to delay recording. Let's get this going out for our listeners.
1: I was going to make some jokes about coffee in the pants and things like that. Uh, I'll let you Mm -hmm. lead that direction throughout the Mm -hmm. podcast. Let's just say
2: I have a very uh, moist chair at the moment.
1: (laughs) And it's not just because he's talking about uh, handcuffs today, which apparently (laughs) is something that very much excites you and only you. Yes, that's right. We're going to be talking about the handcuff strategy Mm -hmm. overall, maybe players to consider, players don't consider that's me saying Mm -hmm. that specifically before we get to the handcuff overall strategy and everything we're going to talk about at the running back position in particular for today's main, main portion of the podcast I do want to get to a little bit of news that occurred over the weekend I don't know if you saw this, but I got ratioed on Twitter a little bit. Uh, We had done a segment on Sunday with Jeff Erickson. I was filling in for Jim Coventry, who was at the Kings Classic Draft. You guys can look at Jim's uh, Twitter account and Jeff, and also the Fantasy Sports and SiriusXM radio Twitter. We kind of broke that all down. However, the main point of news on Sunday's show was that Josh Gordon was reinstated, and then we had a mystifying quote from Bill Belichick that they're going to also evaluate Josh Gordon on a team basis and what that means. To me, and this is coming from somebody who has not been burned by Josh Gordon, Gordon at all. I've never had Josh Gordon in the league prior to this, uh, even when he had that one standout year with the Browns. I'm interested in Josh Gordon as a valuable receiver, maybe wide receiver two or wide receiver three. So top 25 uh, wide receiver, top 35 in that range, I like quite a bit. Now, I made the mistake in my first NFFC draft uh, last night. Completely forgot to take him with this current ADP, so I'm, I'm really one of many boneheaded decisions, and I'll be writing about that, and I'll be posting my Twitter account later tonight. Um, I still love his value. What about you, though? What are you interested in where you want to take Josh Gordon right now?
2: Yeah, you know, the consensus I seem to be hearing around the league, and it's one that I agree with, uh, is that he's a roughly a sixth-round pick, and we're looking at his ADP. If we look at NFFC drafts over the last three days, he's 73 um, overall. So uh, and, and I'm comfortable with that price I still like what Josh Gordon has to offer I'm a sucker for, what he, for uh, what he is and he's always had that been the number one receiver in fantasy in the past so we can get it back. Um, in my opinion this might be enough to even boost Tom Brady into the top 20. I'd consider him as outside of a top 20 quarterback um, as far as who this hurts uh, I don't think it affects Edelman at all completely different style there um, Nikhil Harry who's banged up anyway obviously he goes pretty much to my not draft list uh, Philip Dorsett was there and ended Marys Thomas were there already. This also might hurt James White a little bit, just in terms of overall target share, because we were all worried about Gordon being gone and Gronk being gone, and now Gordon is presumably going to suck up a bunch of those targets. I don't see why they wouldn't. Bill or Belichick was smart to come out and maybe kind of downplay his people' yeah. expectations at the start, because of course there's there's very few players on thinner ice than Josh Gordon. So so um, you know the slightest thing could uh, make the whole castle topple once again. But uh, I'm a sucker. I I love it. I'm going to try to get him in drafts. Our Stake League draft, like I said, is coming up today. Uh, 14 teams, $200 budget, three wide receivers, zero PPR, but I'll probably go past 15 and beyond for him.
1: I think he's going to be a $20-plus player in our draft, and I had talked with Jeff Erickson on Sunday that I liked him quite a bit, so I wouldn't be surprised if Jeff or any of the other guys that were listening that are also in the draft are going to push me up high. I still, I'm, I'm fine with that. I think that it's going to be interesting, especially Nikhil Harry. His injury stats, and it's been that way almost all this preseason, makes me concerned, and or at least concerned for a guy that has a lot of best ball shares and late-round picks of Nikhil Harry. I think Gordon's going to completely overshadow anything that Harry could do in his rookie season. So mm-hmm. I, I'm, I'm with you. I'm completely out on him. I'm not, I'm not yeah. going to take him anymore.
2: I was out on him because a rookie receiver in Belichick's offense. I mean, Belichick's a guy that is historically, you know, first-round picks or early draft picks, I guess I should say, are, are a different story, but he sometimes I'll put those guys on the inactive list. And uh now I'm not going to put that past him with someone that's experienced, with someone who only has, let's say, 12 games or so uh, in the Patriots offense, but it's really, really produced. And uh, I'm just excited for it now. Yeah,
1: I don't think enough people talk about the produce thing. Again, I I mentioned that I probably got a little bit ratioed with my Sirius XM quote that I would take him in the top 25, and that was out of a 14 team draft. So in the fourth or fifth round, that's not crazy most people that are listening that are probably in 10 or 12 team drafts and that's round five or six. And that's Mm -hmm. seemed to be where the consensus ended up happening with the Twitter poll, Mm -hmm. which had 500 plus people voting on it. I, I like Gordon to some extent. I don't think Harry gets pushed down um, where he's inactive overall but I, I wonder if it hurts a little bit of sony michelle's value as well the only reason why is i think gordon ends up being the main red zone passing threat on that team when he's out there and we didn't even really see that in cleveland we didn't so much see that in the the few games that he played with the patriots last season but he's the mm-hmm. big body that i think you would imagine would probably fill that role that gronk had last year and if gronk does not come back in a one twitter user had said he predicts or he predicts that Gronk ends up playing some point the season, that might happen. And I didn't really. Take he gonna, it to the he's got to
2: put about forty pounds back on if that's going to happen. Uh, Once it, I saw those pictures, I was pretty. He'll, pretty he'll much go go to McDonald's a
1: few more times, you'll be fine. No, I, I agree <laughs> with you. If Gronk comes back, that's a different scenario. But right now, the two red zone threats are Sonny Michelle and uh, Josh Gordon. I think Gordon might sap a little touchdowns mm-hmm. away from Michelle. In that sense, and is a fourth round running back, as is in a running back by committee with the Damien Harris, who's exploded in preseason thus far, and James. White and Rex Burkhead still around, I'm a little wary about taking Michelle where he's currently going.
2: Yeah, I was absolutely worried about Patriots running backs uh, before this whole situation anyway and this certainly doesn't do anything to ease my concerns outside of James White sneaking some value I thought in comparison with his ADP and PPR formats uh it wasn't a backfield I planned to attack very much outside of maybe if we're doing 20 round drafts and considering maybe snagging Harris with one of those late ones just as a high upside option
1: yeah I agree with you moving over to some other news that occurred yesterday uh Jimmy Garoppolo looked really really bad in his preseason debut against The Broncos defense, there seems to be some over exaggeration with the preseason. And maybe this is more of a conversation as to how do you view players in the preseason, particularly the first two weeks of the preseason. Uh, But he completed one of six passes for zero yards and threw a pick there was one um clip that i saw on espn just a little bit earlier where he threw it and it was just easily batted down by someone on the defensive line and while that's normally mike daniels as a packers fan strong suit they can never get Mm -hmm. pass rush but they could sure bat the ball down it was a little bit discouraging to see what grapple did against the broncos defense which is good but i wouldn't have anticipated they made him look that bad normally
2: yeah, this is, this is a tough one to process, because normally I'd say, okay, it's the preseason, he played a little bit, and he didn't get hurt, so that's a win, move on. But I look at how ADP has reacted to this, and I've still got the ADP for the last three days up, because I want to look at Josh Gordon. And in the last three days, Garoppolo's down at 22, below Josh Allen, just ahead of Sam Darnold and Derek Carr, um, when I would probably take him higher than that. We'll see what happens on uh, on Saturday against the Chiefs for Garoppolo, but I'm not ready to go full-on panic mode on him.
1: That's interesting. And, of course, Garoppolo had the infamous, I feel like, in terms of preseason, five consecutive passes intercepted out of practice Last week at some point. I'm trying not to look too much into it. I like the 49ers offense as a whole. I think they have a lot of different skill position players that are going to do well. And as the quarterback throwing to them, I would imagine he's going to be better than QB 22. So I know it looked bad on Monday. He's still coming off an ACL injury, and we had injury expert for RotoWire, Jeff Stotts, talk about how it might not be till week three or four until we see the true Jimmy Garoppolo. Mm-hmm. But I still feel comfortable taking him as a QB2, particularly if his ADP is that far down, like you talked about.
2: Oh, yeah, exactly. If you can get him at that kind of value, Um, Pretty much anyone outside of the top, let's say, 12-14, you're probably considering taking a backup. And if you can get him at that price, I'd be all about it because he could return value. Again, it just shows the depth of the quarterback position.
1: Flipping over to this other side of the matchup, Noah Fant, uh, obviously first-round tight end pick by the Broncos. They traded down and were able to acquire him. Speedy guy, injured last night. There's been some discrepancy as to what severity it is. This is more of a, a conversation point to talk about his dynasty value in my opinion, Noah Fant and um, T.J. Hawkinson should not be drafted this year. I don't anticipate a rookie tight end is going to do much. This this shouldn't be news to the listeners out there. We've kind of discussed that on an earlier podcasts. But Noah Fant and I'm going to have a dynasty draft in the next week or so with friends and family. Should be maybe I think a first round caliber tight end or a first round caliber pick. I, I think if we're just including the rookies overall what's your thoughts on Noah Fant's value? And certainly if he's going to miss any time, does that hinder his dynasty value overall? Well,
2: first and foremost, like you said, I agree with you for redrafts. He's not even on my list. And he wasn't really on my list before. Uh, taking two tight ends is something that is is very much debated among the industry. And even then, his ADP since the start of August was down at 23. So he was going to be borderline, very, very borderline anyway. So uh, dynasty, there's still there's still a chance there, but... He, who knows what that Denver system is going to look like during the last couple of years of his rookie deal? Are they sticking with Joe Flack or are they going to try to start this whole process order over? Is John Elway going to find some quarterback that's big and tall and lengthy that he's going to fall in love with and try to
1: – It's just, Is John Elway even going to be there?
2: Yeah, I guess <laughs> – Yeah, I, see, I, I have a hard time believing that Denver, of all franchises, would send him to the curb, but – Who knows? I guess we'll wait and see. There's just a, I don't know, the whole setup around uh, that system is a little bit uncertain for me. Now, if he was the Chiefs tight end that they were going to groom or the Rams tight end that they were going to groom, there'd be a lot to like there. But uh, this is probably one of the least enticing overall circumstances. So I think he might be a player where you need to spend three, four years in the league, maybe not have a rookie option picked up, go try somewhere else and get a better circumstance. I don't don't see a ton of dynasty value there yet.
1: I get that Noah Fant is fast. I don't know if he's that great of a receiver, and I need to at least see it. And I'm not willing to rule out him being a good receiver in his rookie year, one way or another. Like, if he does one good season as a receiver, fine. I feel a bit more confident. If he has a bad year this year, I'm not ruling out and saying he can't be a good receiver. Mm-hmm. But the Eric Ebron Truthers, for four years, were drafting him as a guy that could break out with the Lions, and it never yes. ended up happening. I was course, trying to
2: think of the analogy, and you just put it perfectly. The, the, like, that's of course the, We, we the could one see that year. again.
1: The one year that he ends up signing with a different team and goes off, and now all the Eric Ebron truth, Truthers are like, oh, Oh yeah! See, I told you. Oh, Eric Ebron's gonna be great. Well, no, I, because I,
2: of I, his ridiculous touchdown. Right?
1: Like, I, I just don't think that's a fair. I don't think it's a fair uh, thing to place. And I think Noah Fant, at least in his athleticism, probably is along the same lines as Eric Ebron. But we need to see it as a receiver. I'm not ready to rule him out yet, Mm -hmm. and I think that's why he's a late first-round dynasty candidate. I would take Hawkinson before him uh, just based off of the lines and the way they've built their team and given his high draft status, where it's just not quite the same thing as Famp, But it's interesting nevertheless, and I, I thought it was worth discussion. Another thing that's worth discussion, at least from the news that occurred over this weekend and on Monday, Darius Geis is tentatively scheduled to potentially play in Thursday's preseason game. He's been out throughout most of the preseason, was cleared for full practice earlier this past week with a knee injury. This is a running back, or this is a backfield for the Redskins that has Adrian Peterson at over 1,000 rushing yards last year, has Chris Thompson as the guaranteed PPR threat and the receiving guy out the backfield, but also a Redskins offense that... Might not be very good, uh, whether it is Case Keenum or Dwayne Haskins or anybody else at quarterback right now. What's your thoughts on Darius Geis and, as a guy going around uh, sixth or seventh in most drafts right now?
2: Yeah, I'm, I'm very intrigued by what he has to offer. Of course, he's probably snatched up and stashed in the dynasty formats like you mentioned. I took a question on Twitter on Thursday night from at Danny Kay and um, he listed a whole bunch of keepers for me. And uh, I told him to pick uh, on Johnson in the fifth round, yes. Hunter Henry in the 10th round and the my last one and he had a decent list with some some intriguing names on there um and he had a pretty good list but I told him get Darius Geis in round 15 I said right, not, yeah. only not only not only cuz I wanted to be Dr. Seuss and say roll the dice with Geis, um but I I'm curious <laughs> to see what he has to offer here and uh, I think he's a player of of plenty skill set as long as he can get healthy here on a team where I don't really see a ton of competition for him. I kind of drank that Samaje Piran Kool Aid a couple years ago. Yeah. I, I've accepted that's not going to happen. That's the big tenon a- that, yeah. that had to come out. Exactly. Adrian Peterson's not not himself, and Chris Thompson is merely a change of pace back and nothing more. I've learned that from doing uh, waiver wire shows the last several years. So uh, there's an opening there. Um, I'm a little uncertain about team context this year, but he's a player I could see having a very good last six weeks to this season and working his way maybe into late second early third next year in next year's draft if if you know the dominoes fall in the place. you're
1: probably higher than than me uh on Darius Geis's value and it's interesting I want him to do well I, I was pretty high in him last year he was a second or third round selection for me and of course then he tore his ACL in the preseason and that was it that was a waste to pick for me and was really the start of what Entis what was one of probably my worst fantasy years overall uh been doing this now for quite a while I, I I'm interested I want him to do well I just don't think that Redskins offense is very good and I think Guys might be limited as far as recovery and then just going against eight or nine man boxes even if he ends up being a successful offensive threat it's just gonna be difficult and i think it kind of saquon barkley Mm -hmm. guys isn't nearly as talented as what barkley we think can be or is currently but that's the same situation i could see apply Mm -hmm. for the redskins passing it
2: yeah absolutely i mean the offense as a whole and and just and the situation isn't great for early season success this year so if you're using what did you say seventh round pick on him this year i'd don't think you can expect to put him in your lineup, starting lineup really for maybe even up to the first half of the season until we kind of see what we've got here a little bit more. And he's a player that can maybe finish strong. And if we see something out of Haskins and the team expects to improve their context next year, he's, he's a candidate for improvement. But uh, yeah, right now at the seventh round, it's tough for a guy that I expect to get maybe half a season out of depending on you know how everything's going.
1: Well, before we get to the main bulk of today's podcast, again, talking about the handcuffing position overall at running back and your strategies overall, let's get a word from our sponsors, Yahoo DFS, first. It's officially August, which means football season is around the corner, and Yahoo Fantasy has introduced a new fantasy football game called Best Ball that lets you get in the action now. With Best Ball, you draft your fantasy football team, and that's it. You don't need to do a thing once you've drafted your team, and each week, the top scoring players at each position on your roster will automatically count towards your weekly score. Forget about the time commitment, no waiver wires, no trades, no adding or dropping players. No having to make those tough start or sit decisions. Focus on the best part of fantasy football, the draft. That's definitely my favorite part. Tired of doing mock drafts for your fantasy team and having the other players drop out early, not finish. Well free best ball leagues give you the most accurate ADP or average draft position of players before the season starts. Can't get enough fantasy football, don't want to manage those teams all season. Well you can draft up to fifty best ball teams. Play for free or play for cash, but most importantly, get to drafting with Yahoo Fantasy Best Ball. Join a league today at yahoo.com slash bestball. Coming soon to the Yahoo Fantasy. All right, I teased after that break with Yahoo Fest that... Uh, we're going to talk about the handcuff position overall, and this was a question that was prompted actually by you um, mm-hmm. and a radio station that you were talking with about the idea of investing a handcuff pick in running backs overall. I think the terminology is very important when mm-hmm. we have this discussion before we even really begin on players we want to target or situations we want to diff- uh, target, the difference between handcuffing and a running back by committee. And I'll let you kind of run with that, Jake.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, so it's, it was something that I felt needed to get talked about because I see it discussed all over the place, but I think it's something that people are starting to take into too much account. And we'll get into that in strategy in a little bit, but I do want to differentiate terminology for the purpose of our discussion here. A handcuff is very different than a committee. A committee is Jordan Howard, Miles Sanders, Darren Sproles or Sony Michelle, James White, Rex Burkhead. No. James White is not Sony Michelle's handcuff because James White's value is independent uh, of Michelle because we because of his role in the passing game. He has a role regardless if uh, Michelle gets hurt or not. I think I, we can argue about the same thing possibly for Miles Sanders. Even I'd go as far as we ended up taking this off of our our show plan today. But even Latavius Murray to an Elvin Kamara. No, I don't really think of. Uh, obviously, Murray's value goes way up if something were to happen to Kamara. But I think that there is a certain amount of value in Murray that is uh, independent of that. Of Kamara because you know, we're not going to see Kamara get 30 carries a game for the most part here. Uh, Murray's going to have part of that role. So uh, differentiating between a committee and a handcuff, whereas a handcuff is someone where there's a bell cow, uh, top three-round pick most likely, and you need something to happen like an injury or a suspension or, say, failing to reach a contract or a holdout. Um, you need something like that to happen for them to lose their value and suddenly for that handcuff to have a bunch of value. I, I equated to the Kareem Hunt-Damian uh, Williams situation last year where there, there was no value in Damian Williams until the Kareem Hunt suspension right then Damian Williams steps into the play and becomes a playoff game winning running back in a lot of scenarios he would have been a handcuff but not someone that you would have considered picking up starting or even flexing or anything close to that during the reign of Kareem Hunt so that's yeah, kind of what we're working
1: and, and CJ Anderson too comes to mind it's, it's mm-hmm. interesting actually Kareem Hunt before he was Kareem Hunt, was a handcuff to Spencer Ware and then became the, the a, two, a second or third-round pick once mm-hmm. that Spencer Ware injury happened, uh, I think, two seasons ago in the preseason. So again, the distinction between a handcuff and a running back by committee is very different. I'm a pretentious fantasy player, and I'll be the first one to admit it. Mm-hmm. So the idea of handcuffing a running back and wasting a pick on a guy that best-case scenario plays maybe half the year uh, for your injured or contract-related running back that's out is a bad idea, in my mm-hmm. opinion, especially when it comes to a higher pick. Like, you think of a Tony Pollard, and I was in an NFC draft last night. I had taken Ezekiel Elliott with my number seven overall pick. I didn't consider Tony Pollard in probably round 12, and he got ended up getting scooped up in round 11. Mm-hmm. It just, to me, feels like a waste of a spot when I can get a receiver or running back who could figure in elsewhere. Now, if the value works for a guy, like, and we'll discuss him, Alexander Madison, uh, the backup running back, Delvin Cook, for the Vikings, Mm -hmm. fine. Then I'm comfortable taking it. But I'm not going to go and draft a running back just because he's the backup to Ezekiel Elliott or Mm Melvin Gordon. I'm drafting him because it makes sense with the value at his current spot.
2: Yeah, part of the thing that prompted the show actually was, uh, you know, I got asked the question, well, if you take Delvin Cook in the second round, then you have to take Alexander Madison, right? You need to make sure you go out and get him because Cook's so injury-prone. And I was thinking to myself, You know what? I think maybe we're taking this just a little bit too far. Right. if Madison's ADP at one fifty, if he's there for you, sure you can take him and you might he might help in a player A versus player B or even C dilemma, but you need to take him at one thirty-five, one forty and ADP no. And uh so it feels a little bit contradictory. We're doing a show about handcuffs while telling you not to take handcuffs in general. And uh, we'll get into some specific situations that war in handcuffs and we're like we're kind of already doing, getting into some reasons uh why handcuffs are tough to avoid. My magic number I'd say is roughly ten spots if you're looking at an ADP list. Um it's a little bit arbitrary i don't have science or anything behind it but slightly less than a round if you have to reach more than 10 spots in adp to get your so-called handcuff no because your opportunity cost is another player with probably more upside that probably has a more defined role that also probably doesn't need somebody to get injured suspended or you know have a contract dispute in order to have any value period so i'm I'd I'd much more i'd be much more comfortable taking and bolstering my bench with um with players that that could emerge on their own, independent, and the other situ- the other thing is you're kind of limit your team's upside here because you're taking, you're making sure you have one share of a backfield, but you're having one less lottery ticket on your draft team. So there's a lot of reasons to not go for the handcuffs, to not reach too much for that situation. I tried and I tried to look for exceptions to this rule so, so much. And there were a couple situations in which I thought, okay, maybe I can bend my philosophy a little bit. If you're in a league that's 14, 16 teams or greater, um, the players that you're looking at in that last round probably aren't going to have some upside in their lottery tickets anyway then you might make more of an effort to get that handcuffed to make sure you have your guy and best ball leagues only because they go so many rounds then you can try to take some other shares of that backfield because in a best ball league of course if uh, your guy gets injured uh you'd you don't, you need to protect yourself because you're not going to be able to use them the rest of the year. And suddenly one of your guys, you know, you're going to get a decent amount of production from one of those. There are a couple exceptions, but in general, I'm pretty handcuff averse.
1: I think the amount of bench spots you have too makes a big difference. And I'm going to give you an example, maybe just because it's on my mind, we're going to be drafting in uh, the stake league in a little over an hour right now. Mm-hmm. Last year, I was completely into Marlon Mack. I had him in a lot of different leagues. I also acquired him in stake league. Thought the price was bright, but of course, he was going to miss the first three weeks, first four weeks of the season with a knee injury. So I went out and spent a, a couple additional dollars on Jordan Wilkins, thinking all right, I'm getting the starting backfield of the Colts. It's going to be perfect. Well, that didn't end up being the case. Jordan Wilkins struggled. When Marlon Mack came back, I had already wasted a roster spot on two different Colts running backs that really didn't end up helping me until week seven or eight. And by that point, I was already out of stake League. I was going to be ending up being a buyer. It was a frustrating season investing two. Roster spots on a backfield, not knowing for certain if they're going to be great or not, is really another mm-hmm. big detriment when it comes to doing a handcuff thing.
2: Mm-hmm. And how many times is that handcuff that you've reached to get the first player you cut when you're faced with a really tough roster or situation? Or you hold
1: on too long,
2: or you hold on too long, and that and you miss on the hot, you know, the hot fab ticket of the year. So that can be just as costly. So there's a lot of uh, roster reasons to avoid stretching for that or using a roster spot on it. But again, we'll get into some of the guys that you maybe have to consider because of the amount of degree of risk associated with the starter or just the general sur- surrounding
1: circumstances. Absolutely. And we'll touch on some of those actual situations where a handcuff makes sense, or at least ones that we're targeting, but it's essentially based off of the NFFC drafts, ADP, August 1st and onward. So I want to make sure we preface that before we get into that conversation. I also want to get a word from our, our sponsor, Sports Predictor, before we get into that. The team of professional betters at SportsPredictor.com uh, are an elite group of long-term winners. They're here to help you beat the bookie they win. The entire team at Sports Predictors have a proven profitable edge, just like Chris Liss and Jeff Erickson talked about on their um, Beat the Book podcast yesterday, which you had tweeted about, and I actually really liked as well. Yeah,
2: it was awesome. Uh, You know, not traditional fantasy, but they talked about Survivor and against the spread strategies and what they've learned from doing this since you know they were little kids, basically. And it's a very interesting one, uh, a non-traditional one, that definitely you should work in your listening queue uh, before the season starts because there'll be some good advice in there.
1: They're doing that every Monday, right? I think they're doing a... a just a spread or a gambling-related podcast soon, or every Monday?
2: Ooh, I'm, I guess I'm not sure about the actual plans, but I'd be very excited. I, I kind of thought the Monday podcast would be more of a recap and what I learned, but uh, if they are going to do that, I'm excited. I know I'm this excited. is, G- I know
1: this a is doing a, a gambling podcast with somebody I'm not entirely positive, when or where, but it's always a great listen, and certainly the guys at sportspredictor.com are also really great because they're data-driven, they use predictive sports models to consistently find value, and they're honest and tr- transparent. Every pick for every capper every day is published on their website. The subscribers are limited, so every sports predictor package has a subscriber limit and when that number is hit is closed to new members and they also educate betters which i find very helpful with informative articles in the sports predictor podcast to help you learn from professionals choose a professional handicap service that operates with integrity and a winning edge choose SportsPredictor.com. All right, we talked about a little bit of the betting angle. Let's get back to that handcuff side of things and talk about the running backs and handcuff situations that we're actually interested. Above all else, I think the very first one, at least one that most people are going to be interested in, is Todd Gurley and his injury history. I brought up C.J. Anderson. He was a guy that ended up winning a lot of fantasy leagues last year when Todd Gurley was out Mm -hmm. in those weeks 13 through 16, weeks 13 through 17, if your league had went that long. And that was more because Todd Gurley was out, literally out. He was not playing, so C.J. Anderson comes back in. Mm-hmm. We saw in the Super Bowl that Todd Gurley is going to be playing or, or at least is is out there, but he might not have a full l- workload or at least what the Gurley fl- uh, workload we anticipate will be. That's, as a result, bringing up Daryl Henderson, who I actually took in the NFC draft last night, as they got its game taken around the sixth or seventh round. Is this the premier handcuff situation for you, Jake?
2: No, it's not. <laughs> and there are a couple reasons for this, um, mostly – Daryl Henderson's ADP is getting out of hand because I think a lot of people are buying in to the the Todd Gurley narrative that, uh, you know, he's not going to play nearly as much as uh, he did. He could miss some games. The arthritis is a kind of uh, an ongoing issue that's not going to suddenly go away. And, of course, you got the McVay coach speak that says his snap share is going to be down from, you know, 60 to 65 or 80, upper 80s last season and more 60 to 65. So that's a big chunk of production off to start with. Now, here's the other thing. A lot of people think, and at least if you're looking at ADP, that Daryl Henderson is absolutely the true handcuff. I think I mentioned the Murray-Kamara situation a little bit earlier. I almost think that Henderson's value is independent of Gurley to a certain extent, which is why you see his ADP the way he is. He gets a lot of hype as a pass catcher, um, and people are saying he's going to be this year's Delvin Kamara. Um, I'm not necessarily buying it, and I'm more in the camp that Malcolm Brown is the true handcuff handcuff in our terminology to Todd Gurley. Henderson's role is not going to change that much whether Todd Gurley plays six games or sixteen games, but Malcolm Brown's role will. Yeah. And he's a player that the Lions gave a two year three point three million dollar offer sheet to this offseason and the Rams went ahead and matched that for a running back, despite, you know, drafting a running back and giving Todd Gurley making him one of the highest paid running backs in the league. So we know that the team likes him And then we look into preseason, and I'm a big proponent of not taking a ton out of preseason, but I'm trying to read between the lines here and see that Malcolm Brown's getting the Todd Gurley starter stream and where he's actually not playing at all. Henderson's getting a bunch of reps, and his yards per carry isn't that great. Henderson's working well as a pass catcher, but I think it's like 2.7 yards per carry. So um, there's a lot of context here that would lead one to believe that Malcolm Brown and his ADP of 200 is – more of a true handcuff than Henderson in his ADP of 78. Henderson acts more like a committee member, and there's going to be value in him, but I think that. If Gurley gets hurt or plays less than five games, that doesn't necessarily make Henderson the true bell cow there. And now, again, don't mix this up with advice for for me to take to run out and grab Malcolm Brown uh, within his ADP of the top 200. But uh, if you're in a 14-16 team auction, I don't really intend to go after Todd Gurley. But if he were to fall into my lap for a very cheap price, I'd be looking to get Malcolm Brown for a dollar at the end of the draft.
1: I agree with you. And it's interesting. I love Henderson for exactly what you mentioned. I think he's going to be a 1A and 1B like we see in the Saints backfield. And the Rams invested a high draft pick, I think, for that exact reason, to be used as a weapon out of the backfield, not as the backup to Todd Gurley. Malcolm Brown... Is and I, I don't. I think it's definitive. A lot of people don't seem to agree with me, but mm-hmm. I think it's definitive. Malcolm Brown is the backup to Todd Gurley, but Henderson's going to get a lot of work. So whereas a lot of people are assuming Henderson is the handcuff to Gurley, that's not the case, and why I think the semantics that we discussed at the beginning of the podcast are really important. The true terminology. Brown is the handcuff. I also wouldn't necessarily invest in Brown. Mm-hmm. Uh, the auction draft scenario that you brought up where you get Gurley for a cheap price, fine. But in a draft format, if you're taking Gurley in rounds two or three, I think it's probably far more valuable to just get a different running back in rounds 14, 15, 16 than trying to go mm-hmm. and get the backup for the Rams. Because just I don't know if that makes sense necessarily to acquire him. Mean, He's more of a free agent pickup, which we'll probably end up discussing on a Tuesday podcast mm-hmm. down the yeah, road. Yeah, yeah. There'll
2: be a happens. time and place for that. And uh, One point I forgot to make about, uh, I saw from one of the Team beat writers that Henderson's maybe not catching on to some of those outside zone reads that, that they too, like yeah. that they like too much. Uh, so that's a little bit concerning. Not that he can't catch on or won't catch on, but uh, I, again, he's I, too
1: I, talented I, to leave off the field. Yes. And I think that's where Henderson's value probably lies.
2: Yeah. At Another, the same time, the ADP is just too high for me.
1: Ah, <laughs> uh, okay. See, you know, we we can have a different podcast discussion about that because I'm still all in on him. A different handcuff situation this is entirely related to the contract melvin gordon who was a first round caliber player fell down to the fourth round a lot of different adps currently at least in the nffc drafts that we'll talk about in a little bit this this feels like last year's Le'Veon bell situation and it's quite possible that melvin gordon ends up holding out if that's the case, both Austin Eckler and Justin Jackson make some sense as guys that you could probably target. They're not handcuffs necessarily. I think you'll get to that terminology in a little bit, but both running backs that you could target if Gordon does end up missing time, which it almost seems like a formality at this point.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Now, Austin Eckler has a ADP of 71, uh, which almost in a way implies that he has value independent of Melvin Gordon does. or Justin Jackson. And I think he uh, most certainly does if we're talking about a PPR league here. So there's a... That's definitely exciting for me. Um, So let's see. Eckler is definitely the guy to own. Justin Jackson falls into that category for me. Where if it's a deep league and you need a late late pick, I would definitely I would go after him but I'm probably not taking Melvin Gordon before the fourth round anyway, and he could be falling even further, so I'm not going to feel any particular inclination to go after Justin Jackson, but you can kind of equate Justin Jackson to Malcolm Brown, where Eckler is more of the Daryl Henderson, if you want to make that analogy a little bit, where is it really worth using a handcuff pick on, on on Jackson or or Brown at this point? You know, the league has to be a certain size for you to consider that.
1: Yeah, it's interesting. I am the Chargers beat writer at roto so I feel like I have a bit more of a distinction on what the Chargers offense will look like if Gordon out Jackson Justin Jackson is a hundred percent the handcuff to own. If the Chargers are to use Austin Eckler effectively, he's a change of pace guy or comes in every once in a while. We've seen in the preseason where both Jackson and Eckler have gotten a lot of work as pass catchers and as runners. There is no this guy comes in and then this guy does that. It's Austin Eckler coming in every once in a while and drives Justin Jackson doing the same thing. But if I'm taking Melvin Gordon in the fourth round where his current ADP is. I'm probably finding a different running back, like an Alexander Madison or something like that, to be my roll of the dice player. I'm not looking for a Justin mm-hmm. Jackson to fill him because I'm already throwing a bit of a wild card pick with Melvin Gordon, assuming he plays or doesn't play. Like mm-hmm. The value, if he plays and you give him the fourth round, is fantastic. That's why you're taking him there. You're not looking to go get a handcuff mm-hmm. afterwards.
2: And it all depends on, on kind of the strategy and the direction of your draft, too, because if you do bite the bullet and take Melvin Gordon in the fourth round, you'd be pretty wise to try to grab another running back that's serviceable in the fifth round, depending on how your early round's look and then maybe your 13 14 15th round picks are, are bolstering up the receivers because you you have foregone taking uh, good receivers at those early picks and now you're uh, kind of filling it up with uh, darts that might that might pay off there so each each strategic workflow is going to work differently on draft day
1: I didn't anticipate this being the answer to our handcuff question but to me the premier handcuff this year mm-hmm. is Ezekiel Elliott and Tony Pollard If Ezekiel ends up missing time, and I actually took him number seven overall in the aforementioned NFC draft, so I don't think he's going to miss time. But if he does, for whatever the reason, the Cowboys have seemingly deemed Tony Pollard as the main guy, and certainly based off his preseason performance, particularly in week two, it's probably fair to assume that he's going to do pretty well in that role. That offensive line has improved. We know the Cowboys need to utilize the run to open up the pass. They're not an offense that does it the other way, like the Packers or maybe the Cardinals will. It's interesting, though, that a guy as small as Tony Pollard has been deemed the main workhorse and bell cow if Ezekiel misses time, but that seems to be the case, and as a result, it probably makes sense that if you draft Ezekiel Elliott, you want to get Tony Pollard. Now, I didn't do that, and I don't really Mm -hmm. regret it, but I could understand why people might want to choose that route.
2: The price has gotten out of hand, Joe. I was just looking over the last three days. His ADP has absolutely reacted to that preseason game, and he's up to 125, Um, so you're... You're paying a big-time premium to get that handcuff. And, and, you know, I want to look at the uh, the players that Pollard is around. Not to say that he's not a good player, that he isn't the uh, handcuff, but,
1: you know, you're looking at guys. Uh, let's see here. Oh, Alfred is, Morris. Yeah. Darius Jackson. Yeah. I liked Darius Jackson when he was with Green Bay and he was just a preseason guy. I-, I thought he had some promise. And frankly, when we're talking about a handcuff for a while, I just assumed to be Darius Jackson that ends up getting the carries. But mm-hmm. Pollard being as small as he is, seems to still be the guy that's going to get the in the, in the tackle yeah. workload and receiving stuff as well. And if that's the case, then he's more valuable. But to me, I don't know if he's the body to be a bell cow. That's where my concern lies the mm-hmm. most.
2: Yeah, I mean, Alfred Morris isn't excited at all, but no. he'll get five carries a game in the situation that Zeke sits out. But in the end. 125 overall, even for Pollard, that's getting to be too much for me. It really is because – I've said this before on the show, everyone's pretty biased by the whole Le'Veon Bell situation. They've got that recency bias from last year when normally these things work itself out. I mean, Zeke's already back from Cabo uh, in Dallas. Does that mean they're closer to a contract? I don't know exactly. They might be. Uh, But having a player sit out the way Le'Veon Bell did is the exception. It's not the norm. So using a top 10 round pick on Tony Pollard... Is really costing you now. Uh, looking at the guys around him in ADP, um, Lamar Jackson's close by. If yes. you haven't gotten a quarterback, I know how you feel there. Kareem Hunt's riskier. He's around in the same area in ADP. Jameson Crowder, some people like as a sleeper. Devin Singletary is a guy people like as a sleeper. If they're out on uh, LaShawn McCoy, um, even going up a little higher, you know Anthony Miller, Peyton Barber, Golden Tate. Uh, all these guys are more established players. Whereas if Zeke signs before Week One, which could very well happen, then Pollard's you know back on the waiver heap and it's, it's exactly, a waste of a spot so i understand exactly. and i even commend you for not taking tony pollard and not succumbing to that to that will to do that and instead probably getting a better player i don't know who your 11th 12th round I picks were but i have to look at it but uh
1: well i i, I was going to compare it to a guy like tyrell williams who i have i'm completely on and i think his adp has now risen to where it probably should be in the ninth or tenth round mm-hmm. and marquez velda scantling who was taken in the ninth round in my nffc draft and i was disappointed i couldn't get him you're passing up either a number two receiver on an offense that should be better next year Tyrell Williams mm-hmm. or a number two receiver I think in uh, Velda Scantling an offense that could be great with Aaron Rodgers as opposed to a running back that might not play at all this year if mm-hmm. everything works he's out a special Cowboys, teamer.
2: he's a special teamer if Zeke signs
1: if everything works out for the Cowboys Pollard's not on the field at all or maybe gets five or ten snaps and you're passing up number two receivers on offenses that could be better this year that's, that's again where I, I'm trying mm-hmm. to say don't do this hand cuff route or at least if you're going to do it make sure it mm-hmm. works in relation to other players around you don't feel like you have to reach for a position or a player that fits your position just because you drafted a melvin gordon or ezekiel I, I hate that idea and i think it's it's a a farce to be that a lot of uh, rookie fantasy players make mistakes in all the mm-hmm.
2: time now again we're looking at an ffc uh adp list right now to see where where pollard's up to 125 if you're sitting in your yahoo or your espn draft room uh he's not there i mean he's he's, he's yeah he's not there you need to identify him and put him in your queue if you want to get him so chances are if you're in just one of those traditional draft rooms you might not have to pay as high of a premium as, as we're exaggerating here a little bit so that's definitely playing in your favor and then maybe you'd get him but again where he's going in nffc drafts that's that's way too tough of a pill for me to swallow
1: there's a few handcuff situations that make sense for me at least to invest a a pick and we've talked about a few already we're going to get to those after our word from play ball Two. looking for another nfl Pick'em contest well we have the one for you and you can compete against hall of fame quarterback joe montana who is hosting a free to play nfl Pick'em contest with our friends at playball2.com the winner takes home a thousand dollars and the goat himself already has an early entry into the contest aside from competing against joe montana you'll also get to see his picks each week and find out his football iq and if it translates the field what are you waiting for join today at playball2.com that's dot com. right. The under-the-radar handcuffs that I'm interested in, I think first and foremost, we've been teasing it a lot, and it made sense the radio station, at least that you talked to, asked about it. Delvin Cook and his in- injuries history has me at least a little bit interested in getting Alexander Madison, who's currently going in that 10th, 11th, 12th round. And I'll let you confirm with the NFFC ADP if that's the case. But mm-hmm. at least in the draft that I had, I think he was a late round, or he was a back into the 10th or 11th round pick.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's what we're looking at right now. And the the thing is, is you're completely banking on Delvin Cook uh, not being Delvin Cook or not being on the field. And that's why it gets to be a little risky. This was kind of the whole conversation that sparked the show uh, a little bit. And I'll give you a couple of reasons why if you take Delvin Cook in round two, which I'm actually okay with this year, I, I can I can stomach that. I don't have a problem with that. It doesn't mean you have to take Madison in his current ADP of 145 overall. Uh, one, I think Delvin Cook has... Just as good a chance to be healthy this year. I mean, we need to look. He is 24 years old. He had last season to kind of fully recover, uh, for, or at least from the ACL with his rookie season. Um, so I think he he's young enough that he can heal and he can get back to where he's at. This is a team, an offensive coordinator that wants to run the ball. I think he's going to get a big-time increase in workload here. And, uh, you know, after playing in 11 games last season, averaging 4.6 yards per carry, I think he's back. Uh, Madison, he's a factor. No doubt, but I don't necessarily know that he's much more valuable than an Amir Abdullah or a Mike Boone, who we saw in the preseason. Well, we'll see if Mike Boone makes the roster uh, based on this. But overall, I mean, Madison at 145, that's fine. But you're just buying a backup at that position yeah. here. Um, you're, And I don't know, I'm looking around – Right next to him is Darwin Thompson at 146. Hint, hint. We'll talk about him in a second. I'd much rather have Thompson. He's right behind Mitch Trubisky and Dak Prescott, who I think are perfectly fine. QB1s if you wait like we advise you to. Um, And then you've got Trey Burton, Mark Andrews, those guys around. If you waited on tight end, you know there's a spot to get those. So um, the price is too high, and I think there's a little bit of a misconception that he is the handcuff in this situation.
1: And see, I disagree. I actually think that Alexander Masson... Other than maybe Tony Pollard, who I don't think should be the primary running back if Ezekiel misses time, but seems to be, Alexander Madison is the guy to own, I think, if you're talking handcuffs. He's already... Potentially going to be a goal line back. I, I'm I'm not with you. I think Amir Abdullah is probably free agency fodder, and probably Boone should join that category as well. If the Vikings choose to make that decision, it's a different distinction altogether. But Madison is the true talent, and certainly they invested a draft pick in him this year, which would seem to indicate to me that he's going to get the workload first and foremost. If it happens, like this isn't receiver where it takes time, or tight end uh, where it takes time to learn the playbook and kind of figure it out. If you can run the ball, you're probably ju- mm-hmm. doing your job. Job as a running back whether you're a rookie or second or third mm-hmm. stringer so i feel confident saying he's the handcuffed Delvin cook and the difference being for me tyler tyler eifert's injury prone right like we've seen him get injured every single year uh guys that have concussion problems or hamstring problems repeatedly clay matthews he's injury prone getting an acl injury tear that's necess- not necessarily making me say oh yeah Delvin cook's an injury risk every single season and yes mm-hmm. he might be an injury risk but not so not, not much more so than anybody else it's the new tommy it's,
2: john these guys come back stronger right? that's exactly <laughs> it
1: right so like that's not as big of a concern to me as maybe someone who has concussion history concussion history like julian edelman or something like that mm-hmm. like that's i'm not ruling somebody out however yeah. if I'm, you want to go cook's route Masson's the guy the back of my to own
2: yeah so so would you say so cook's adp is 17 overall mid-second round pick yep. um Do you – how much do you reach then in that case to get Madison? What price are you willing to pay?
1: If I take Cook and I haven't taken Cook yet, and frankly, I don't know if I will. He'd have to fall a little bit further than his current ADP. Mm -hmm. I'm probably getting a Madison – uh, let's. I was going to say around earlier than his ADP. I would really want to lock up that spot mm-hmm. because a Vikings running back, which everyone's starting, is a valuable idea in my opinion. However, I go back to the stake league example I talked about with Marlon Mack and Jordan Wilkins. I ended up wasting a roster spot in Wilkins for seven weeks in a league that had very few limited spots, and that really came back to mm-hmm. hurt me when I was trying to bid on other players. You have to consider the roster space that you have when you're talking about investing in a backfield like the Vikings. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, well, and then we take this preseason workload situation in a new account. Madison carried the ball ten times uh, in in the Sunday preseason game. So Cook's going to sit out the entire preseason we pretty much have that as a given i don't know if i like that treatment necessarily how much of a role and how much how vital to the offense is madison going to be if he's getting that type of usage in the preseason yeah. i guess we'll continue to see that in week three um and, and beyond i would like to see madison sit out preseason week four entirely for me to be confident in uh in that and I, I just so many of the reasons that you described why madison could be good i think they're already programmed into his adp which makes it a tough stretch for me
1: yep i i get that i think another um, I don't even want to say backfield by committee, even though Andy Reid wanted to. A backup and a handcuff situation that you probably need to monitor, even though I'm not concerned, is Damian Williams and his role in the Kansas City Chiefs offense. The reason why this is a valuable spot is not necessarily because Damian Williams' role is uncertain, which Andy Reid tried to make it seem, and I don't know if I agree with. It's because of how great that Chiefs offense is overall. We literally saw it last year. Literally saw it last year what a free agent running back in the Chiefs offense can look like. I liked Damian Williams when he was with the Dolphins. I thought he could be a pretty good receiving threat, even if Kareem Hunt was around. But we saw as a runner what he was capable of, certainly in the playoffs and even towards the end of last year. That same situation could apply if Darwin Thompson or Carlos Hyde, I don't like Hyde, but some, some do, uh, could fill into that. How do you feel about this handcuff situation overall?
2: First off, I think we need to acknowledge that Damian Williams' ADP is skidding tremendously. And uh he's down to our, he's down to twenty seven overall. So he's he's flipped to uh the third round if you look at uh at drafts over the last three days. This is the biggest weekend of drafts, so I can actually feel comfortable using that filter w- with the biggest weekend of drafts so far. Uh so he's down to twenty seven and uh I think it's a lot of the reads coach speak that's doing that to his ADP. I don't really have much of an interest in a Carlos Hyde. I think we know what we're getting yes. at this point. I do have interest in the 22 year old Darwin Thompson. Uh, you know, the most recent note we have on com talks about his skill as pass blocking and seeing the blitz and remember last year when everyone was freaking out about Aaron Jones and uh, Jamal Williams taking all those snaps from him yep. a big big reason for that was Jamal Williams being a hell of a pass blocker right. he was lightning linebackers the f up he was he was destroying guys so uh, that helps Darwin Thompson and then and then just you know the overall skill set. he's got a pretty decent profile scored 14, he only carried the ball 153 yards in his last or 153 times excuse me in his last collegiate season that's 1,044 yards and 14 touchdowns was capable as a pass blocker um, I could just see a split and part of it for me is Damian Williams has never carried the ball more than 50 times in a single season and Everyone we're talking five five NFL seasons and he's never carried the ball more than 13 times in a single NFL game so you really think that they're going to I mean again this is a team that is built off the pass but if we presume this offense is prolific as it is they're going to go into the fourth quarter with three touchdowns on leads how many times and need to give the ball to a running back a lot of times do you think Damian Williams is ready to handle 20 carries a game I'm not quite sure he is which is why it is a bit of a situation to avoid but like I said you know right around that ADP of 150 I'm okay taking a flyer at Darwin Thompson might be one of my first cuts I'll admit that but he might not be
1: here's the thing that I get confused with and when Andy Reid threw that wrinkle into things Damian Williams is going to be fine. I, I really believe that. He probably doesn't get 15 carries a game. That's that's okay with me. As long as he's getting 20 touches a game, whether it be receptions or possibilities out of the backfield, that's what I want in that Kansas City Chiefs offense. And if it ends up being a guy like Darwin Thompson that runs the ball, then fine. I actually don't know if that's going to be him, though. At 5'8", 200 pounds, you think he's probably more of a receiving threat, which in that case would probably cut into Damian Williams' workload. And again, to your point, if they're up 20 points at the end of the fourth quarter, they're not throwing the ball anymore. And if they take out Damian Williams, they're probably not playing Darwin Thompson. The guy that mm-hmm. benefits in that scenario is Daryl Williams. And I think Daryl Williams at five or at six foot one, 229 pounds out of LSU, his second season, that's the guy that probably ends up taking Carlos Hyde's job. And I think mm-hmm. ends up being more of the traditional handcuff in the sense that we've been describing. So I like Daryl Williams too. And I'm not the first person to say that. In fact, yeah, one I'm, of those I'm four
2: in, might not make the roster though. So we're going to have to it's Carlos that.
1: Hyde. I, I think it's Carlos Hyde, but I'm, Surprise I'm parroting uh, Mario Puig who's been really not, not in on the Daryl Williams bandwagon, but at least saying... He's the guy that gets those carries at the end of the game, mm-hmm. not Carlos Hyde. And I do not realize there's a, there a
2: Daryl Williams bandwagon until just no, now. And I'm so. not, uh,
1: no, I'm not driving it, neither is Mario Puig. I don't want to put words in either of our mouths. I'm just pointing it out that it's Daryl Williams that probably gets it more than Carlos Hyde. I, again, you're right. We've seen what Carlos Hyde I honestly,
2: is. I honestly thought you were calling Damian Williams Daryl Williams. No, yeah, I know. That's not fair. They they,
1: they have so many Williams like, with wait a D's in their he, first names. Is
2: he saying the wrong guy? Does he, yeah, does he actually mean, oh, oh no, wait, looking at the depth chart, that guy's there and he yes. might he might make a difference i i guess but right now you have to pay there's a zero dollar price for him you can get him on the waiver wire week one if you need which him. is maybe pro- we'll talk which about which probably
1: what not. darwin thompson ends up being too in at least most leagues that are listening to this now the only other situation that i really want to discuss and, and there's a few uh like the bills situation with whatever four running backs they have i like tj Yeldon, and i hate Lashawn mccoy frank gore and i also like Devin singletary so there's possibility but there's there's too much question marks in that backfield i think there's a a at least an intrigue when it comes to um, both the Cardinals backfield and Chase Edmonds, who I'm seeing drafted a lot as the handcuff David Johnson and also Jamal Williams or Dexter Williams um, as the handcuff to Aaron Jones and the Packers backfield. I think in both situations, they're worth at least looking at, but I'm not sure I'm drafting either one of those.
2: Mm-hmm. yeah so there's a lot of interesting backfield situations that we want to do quick hitters on. I think um Chase Edmonds is interesting as a backup we see we're seeing David Johnson you know last week, I was pretty confident that David Johnson was the number five overall pick, and I haven't necessarily oh, no, lost you're that you're
1: falling for that uh
2: okay. I haven't necessarily lost that just yet. I still think it's okay for him. I'm gonna play pay a premium. I'm hoping I get a discount on him in the stake league auction tonight, uh, but nonetheless. There's carries there for Chase Edmonds, especially if that offense intends to run as many plays as they say they will. Um, you know, there's touches for for David Johnson, there's a certain amount of targets. Uh there's gonna be over a I would say probably over a hundred rushes for Kyler Murray in that situation. Yeah. Even then, I think there's a hundred to a hundred and fifty touches out there for Chase Edmonds. True. Which could grow if, for some reason, uh, the David Johnson, you know, stock continues to fall. Which again, I, I don't want to say I'm I'm fully on there yet, but uh, I think there is value in Chase Edmonds, especially as we get deeper. And I do like Devin Singletary. I, you know, I saw an interesting theory that you know McCoy is the guy. He's the starter. He's nah. getting lined up Mm-mm. in the wide receiver. Do you think that it's because they're showcasing him for a possible oh, trade? Yeah.
1: Well, it's trying to give him
2: trying to give him some kind of value so a team will give up a 6 round pick. for I him.
1: don't think the the Carlos Hyde getting released is that much of a surprise, which you kind of were joking about. Mm -hmm. I would not be surprised at all if the Bills released McCoy. I have no idea why they've kind of kept him around at this point. The signing of both Yeldon and Frank Gore seemed to signal that in my mind that not only did they go and get a veteran running back, they also got a guy that TJ Yeldon could literally do what LeSean McCoy does, only better. Mm-hmm. So it, to me, it never made sense that he'd even be in the roster to begin with. Yeah, I could see them showcasing him. They're not going to get anything for him. A seventh-round conditional pick makes a little bit of sense to me that, all right, fine, you put him out there. Devin Singletary, For even since we did the magazine, I got kind of chided and, and Rightfully so for taking me, I think in the tenth or eleventh round in the RotoWire magazine draft, which we did back in May. Mm-hmm. I still feel comfortable as a guy that I would invest in him, not as a handcuff, not as a backup, but as the true starter that you could possibly roll the dice on and get in round twelve.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's absolutely some intrigue in, in Singletary. Now he's a little bit slight, and he has taken on a lot of carries over his college career, so we can't forget that entirely. But uh, I, I think the skill set is absolute, absolutely there, and um, he, he's got that prowess for the end, end zone. He's got the vision. Um, he's a guy that could play especially if the whole starter situation in front of them and I didn't want to ignore your Packers question I was going to say you can't dodge that yeah I can't dodge that quite yet here Um, I just think that we're in a situation where if Aaron Jones who we've mentioned possible durability issues that seems to be everyone in that tier of running backs has a big question mark in some way shape or form and Aaron Jones says can he actually handle bell cow workload over the course of a year Um, I don't necessarily think that there's a handcuff situation here I think if he goes down we go more to a committee situation with both Jamal Williams and Dexter Williams getting involved in the offense. Jamal Williams possibly has the edge because we kind of alluded to his pass-blocking ability. So I give Jamal the edge over the rookie in that situation, but I think both get touches, and they might even get some of these receivers involved in some rushing plays and get get creative a little bit here. So I don't think there's nothing too creative there, mostly because it'll be committee in the event that Jones has to sit again.
1: I do want to point out, though, real quickly, that Mario Puig's done the dirty work for us as far as watching preseason games, keeping track of uh, beat writers and everything they're saying. It's possible Darren Hall, who led the Packers in rushing their week two loss to the Ravens week two preseason loss to the Ravens with thirty thirty-one 31 yards. He could also factor in that RBBC, which could possibly happen if Aaron Jones ends up missing time. I don't know enough about Hall, even as a Packers fan to tell you one way or another, Mm -hmm. whether to be interested in that, but he does have a pretty good article, which is up on the site now. uh, And you can look at for I think the free 10 day access should Mm -hmm. allow you to look at those articles. If you subscribe to that.
2: Yeah, there's absolutely some great articles and I'm glad you brought that up, Joe, because uh, this is going to be the waiver wire podcast in season. And uh, next week, we're going to start to kind of get into some of those pre week one uh, waivers that you might want to consider using fab on, uh, you know, if you drafted early in the the thing, but Kevin Payne writes our weekly waiver wire column for Roto. Wire. that's also included if you go to rotowire.com slash free rotowire.com slash pod any of those will get you covered and he's got a big list where he goes more in depth with josh gordon and talks about a bunch of hail mary targets that might be worth fab bids especially you know we've been pretty fortunate going to knock on wood for uh, injuries so far this preseason um but eventually there's going to be a couple guys there always is and they're there are a couple guys that you can cut and you might as well take a flyer on somebody. It's a great place to look if you're looking at fab guys that haven't really been drafted so far.
1: I'd also be remiss not to mention that roto actually has a college football podcast coming out. And it, like this is a perfect time to hear the Darwin Thompson of the world get talked about. Hosts Nick Whalen and John McKechnie will be posting each episode Wednesdays throughout the college football season with a focus on fantasy and betting i think that's probably the most particularly interesting point for me at least when it comes to college football so just search for rotoware college football anywhere you already listen to podcasts you can hear john and nick break down the college football slates and guys that are targeting at least when it comes to fantasy mm-hmm.
2: yeah college football is like my second favorite sport to bet on and it's like not even in my top 10 to play fantasy on for me there's a lot of intrigue uh with the, the betting situation and of course we talked about all these you know rookies and all these guys with tons of upside if you want to get a head start on those guys yes. uh listen to nick and john because they'll be yeah. covered
1: I-, I can tell you for certain i'm not smart enough to be able to do any sort of DFS on that, but that's exactly why John and Nick are there to help carry you to, well, hopefully DFS glory, maybe mm-hmm. some fantasy football glory, or fantasy college football glory as well. Do you want to just uh, give the listeners the rundown and the rating of the rate and review? You do that way better than I do.
2: Okay, yeah, yeah. So uh, <laughs> it's huge for us, really huge. We've, we've been growing, and we'd like to continue this momentum, and we want to continue to offer you the best content possible in the podcast market. So uh, because of the way the whole Apple iTunes metric works, it helps us out tremendously. If you can go in there, give us a uh, five-star rating, that takes just two seconds. If you want to write one sentence about your favorite thing about the podcast, that's even better. I'll go ahead and give away. Uh, I'll, I'll give away five more mags this year. There's still, you know, we're getting to the point with the magazines where uh, you know they were published a while back, but it's still a great reference point for all of the player outlooks. There's so many player outlooks and team previews. It's just a quick thing to have in your hands instead of going to print off depth charts for every team. Uh, it's a, it's a great cool. Tool to have, so um, I I think I only gave away three last week. So uh, if you think, oh, I'm going to be too late on getting this mega magazine, go ahead and shoot me a DM at Roto Jake. Include a screenshot of your podcast review, and uh, I'll ask for your shipping address, and I'll get you a magazine out there. And uh, if you can, if you scroll through some of the mentions here, I, I, I've been delivering on those. You know, we're not uh, making this up here, so it helps us tremendously. Five star rating review. Uh, we'll go ahead and hook you up with a free mag for your draft. It usually gets there in a couple days. Uh, good for your overall prep. Good reference. material and uh, you don't even need to be an iPhone user. You can go to uh, the Apple iTunes store, uh, make an account for free, and go ahead, find us, and leave us a five-star review. It's tremendously helpful. Uh, for the free show, this is the only thing that we ask, and we really, really appreciate that. Yeah,
1: and I'll be selfish and plug my Twitter handle, JB fantasy Sports, not to talk about the podcast, but I'll be having my article later tonight talking about my first NFFC draft. I'll be doing one more with actually a good friend of mine, uh, Dylan McGee, next week, I think. We're talking about with an auction format, uh, but this will be just breaking down the fantasy draft that occurred last night. Mm-hmm. Until next week, thanks for listening to to RotoWire Fantasy Sports Day, brought to you by Yahoo DFS.